Good evening. I hope you've had a great day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. I'm Big Voice Jay, and this is a show where we get you ready for a good night's sleep with public domain short stories just for you. Links to all the stories can be found at the show notes at bedtimewithbvj.com. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a buy me a coffee link on every page and post. Tonight's story, The Blanched Soldier, by author Conan Doyle. The ideas of my friend Watson, though limited, are exceedingly pertinacious. For a long time, he has worried me to write an experience of my own. Perhaps I have rather invited this persecution, since I have often had occasion to point out to him how superficial are his own accounts, and to accuse him of pandering to popular taste instead of confining himself rigidly to facts and figures. Try it yourself, Holmes, he has retorted, and I am compelled to admit that, having taken my pen in my hand, I do begin to realize that the matter must be presented in such a way as may interest the reader. The following case can hardly fail to do so, as it is among the strangest happenings in my collection, though it chanced that Watson had no note of it in his collection. Speaking of my old friend and biographer, I would take this opportunity to remark that if I burden myself with a companion in my various little inquiries, it is not done out of sentiment or caprice, but it is that Watson has some remarkable characteristics of his own, to which, in his modesty, he has given small attention amid his exaggerated estimates of my own performance. I would take this opportunity to remark that if I burden myself with a companion in my various little inquiries, it is not done out of sentiment or caprice, but it is that Watson has some remarkable characteristics of his own, to which, in his modesty, he has given small attention amid his exaggerated estimates of my own performances. A confederate who foresees your conclusions and course of action is always dangerous, but one to whom each development comes as a perpetual surprise, and to whom the future is always a closed book, is indeed an ideal helpmate. I find from my notebook that it was in January 1903, just after the conclusion of the Blair War, that I had my visit from Mr. James M. Dodd, a big, fresh, sunburned, upstanding Briton. The good Watson had at that time deserted me for a wife, the only selfish action which I can recall in our association. I was alone. It is my habit to sit with my back to the window, and to place my visitors in the opposite chair, where the light falls full upon them. Mr. James M. Dodd seemed somewhat at a loss how to begin the interview. I did not attempt to help him, for his silence gave me more time for observation. I found it wise to impress clients with a sense of power, and so I gave him some of my conclusions. From South Africa, sir, I perceive. Yes, sir, he answered with some surprise. Imperial Yeomanry, I fancy. Exactly. Middlesex Corps, no doubt? That's so. Mr. Holmes, you are a wizard. I smiled at his bewildered expression. When a gentleman of virile appearance enters my room with such tan upon his face as an English son could never give, and with his handkerchief in his sleeve instead of his pocket, it is not difficult to place him. You wear a short beard, which shows that you are not a regular. You have the cut of a riding man. 
As to Middlesex, your card has already shown me that you are a stockbroker from Throgmorton Street. What other regiment would you join? You see everything. I see no more than you, but I have trained myself to notice what I see. However, Mr. Dodd, it was not to discuss the science of observation that you called upon me this morning. What has been happening at Duxbury Old Park? Mr. Holmes! My dear sir, there is no mystery. Your letter came with that heading, and as you fixed this appointment in very pressing terms, it was clear that something sudden and important had occurred. Yes, indeed, but the letter was written in the afternoon, and a good deal has happened since then. If Colonel Emsworth had not kicked me out, kicked you out? Well, that was what it amounted to. He is a hard nail, is Colonel Emsworth. The greatest martinet in the army in his day. And it was a day of rough language, too. I couldn't have stuck the colonel if it hadn't been for Godfrey's sake. I lit my pipe and leaned back in my chair. Perhaps you will explain what you are talking about. My client grinned mischievously. I had gotten to the way of supposing that you knew everything without being told, said he. But I will give you the facts, and I hope to God that you will be able to tell me what they mean. I've been awake all night puzzling my brain, and the more I think, the more incredible does it become. When I joined up in January 1901, just two years ago, young Godfrey Emsworth had joined the same squadron. He was Colonel Emsworth's only son. Emsworth, the Crimean VC. And he had the fighting blood in him, so it is no wonder he volunteered. There was not a finer lad in a regiment. We forced a friendship, the sort of friendship which can only be made when one lives the same life and shares the same joys and sorrows. He was my mate, and that means a good deal in the army. We took the rough and the smooth together for a year of hard fighting. Then he was hit with a bullet from an elephant gun in the action near Diamond Hill outside Pretoria. I got one letter from the hospital at Cape Town and one from Southampton. Since then, not a word. Not one word, Mr. Holmes, for six months and more, and he, my closest pal. Well, when the war was over and we all got back, I wrote to his father and asked where Godfrey was. No answer. I waited a bit and then I wrote again. This time I had a reply, short and gruff. Godfrey had gone on a voyage around the world and it was not likely that he would be back for a year. That was all. I wasn't satisfied, Mr. Holmes. The whole thing to me seemed unnatural. He was a good lad, and he would not drop a pal like that. It was not like him. Then again, I happened to know that he was heir to a lot of money, and also that his father and he did not always hit it off too well. The old man was sometimes a bully, and young Godfrey had too much spirit to stand it. No, I wasn't satisfied, and I determined that I would get to the root of the matter. It happened, however, that my own affairs needed to be straightened out after two years' absence, and so it is only this week that I have been able to take up Godfrey's case again. But since I have taken it up, I mean to drop everything in order to see it through. Mr. James M. Dodd appeared to be the sort of person whom it would be better to have as a friend than as an enemy. His blue eyes were stern, and his square jaw had set hard as he spoke. Well, what have you done? I asked. My first move was to get down to his home, Tuxbury Old Park, near Bedford, and to see for myself how the ground lay. I wrote to the mother, therefore. I had had quite enough of the curmudgeon of a father, 
and I made a clean frontal attack. Godfrey was my chum. I had a great deal of interest, which I might tell her of our common experiences. I should be in the neighborhood. Would there be any objection, etc.? In reply, I had quite an amiable answer from her and an offer to put me up for the night. That was what took me down on Monday. Toxbury Old Hall is inaccessible, five miles from anywhere. There was no trap at the station, so I had to walk carrying my suitcase, and it was nearly dark before I arrived. It is a great wandering house standing in a considerable park. I should judge it was of all sorts of ages and styles, starting on a half-timbered Elizabethan foundation and ending in a Victorian portico. Inside it was all paneling and tapestry and half-effaced old pictures, a house of shadows and mystery. There was a butler, old Ralph, who seemed about the same age as the house, and there was his wife, who might have been older. She had been Godfrey's nurse, and I had heard him speak of her as second only to his mother in his affections, so I was drawn to her in spite of her odd appearance. The mother I liked also, a gentle little white mouse of a woman. It was only the colonel himself whom I barred. We had a bit of Barney right away, and I should have walked back to the station if I had not felt that it might be playing his game for me to do so. I was shown straight into a study, and there I found him, a huge, bow-backed man with a smoky chin and a straggling gray beard seated behind his littered desk. A red-veined nose jutted out just like a vulture's beak, and two fierce gray eyes glared at me from under tufted brows. I can now understand why Godfrey seldom spoke of his father. Well, sir, he said in a rasping voice, I should be interested to know the real reasons for this visit. I answered that I had explained them in my letter to his wife. Yes, yes, you said that you had known Godfrey in Africa. We have, of course, only your word for that. I have his letters to me in my pocket. Kindly let me see them. He glanced at the two which I handed him, and then he tossed them back. Well, what then? he asked. I was fond of your son Godfrey, sir. Many ties and memories united us. Is it not natural that I should wonder at his sudden silence and should wish to know what has become of him? I have some recollections, sir, that I had already corresponded with you and had told you what had become of him. He has gone upon a voyage round the world. His health was in a poor way after his African experiences, and both his mother and I were of opinion that complete rest and change were needed. Kindly pass that explanation on to any other friends who may be interested in the matter. Certainly, I answered. But perhaps you would have the goodness to let me have the name of the steamer and of the line by which he sailed, together with the date. I have no doubt that I should be able to get a letter through to him. I request seen both to puzzle and to irritate my host. His great eyebrows came down over his eyes, and he tapped his fingers impatiently on the table. He looked up at last with the expression of one who has seen his adversary make a dangerous move at chess and has decided how to meet it. Many people, Mr. Dodd, said he, would take offense at your infernal pertinacity and would think that this insistence had reached a point of impertinence. You must put it down, sir, to my real love for your son. Exactly. I have already made every allowance upon that score. 
I must ask you, however, to drop these inquiries. Every family has its own inner knowledge and its own motives, which cannot always be made clear to outsiders, however well-intentioned. My wife is anxious to hear something of Godfrey's past, which you are in a position to tell her, but I would ask you to let the present and the future alone. Such inquiries serve no useful purpose, sir, and place us in a delicate and difficult position. So I came to a dead end, Holmes. There was no getting past it. I could only pretend to accept the situation and register a vow inwardly that I would never rest until my friend's fate had been cleared up. It was a dull evening. We dined quietly, the three of us, in a gloomy, faded old room. The lady questioned me eagerly about her son, but the old man seemed morose and depressed. I was so bored by the whole proceeding that I made an excuse as soon as I decently could and retired to my bedroom. It was a large, bare room on the ground floor, as gloomy as the rest of the house. But after a year of sleeping on the veldt, Mr. Holmes, one is not too particular about one's quarters. I opened the curtains and looked out onto the garden, remarking that it was a fine night with a bright half-moon. Then I sat down by the roaring fire with a lamp on the table beside me and endeavored to distract my mind with a novel. I was interrupted, however, by Ralph, the old butler, who came in with a fresh supply of coals. I thought you might run short in the night time, sir. It is bitter weather and these rooms are cold. He hesitated before leaving the room, and when I looked round, he was standing, facing me with a wistful look upon his wrinkled face. Beg your pardon, sir, but I could not help hearing what you said of young Master Godfrey at dinner. You know, sir, that my wife nursed him, and so I may say I am his foster father. It's natural we should take an interest, and you say he carried himself well, sir? There was no braver man in the regiment. He pulled me out once from under the rifles of the bears. Or maybe I should not be here. The old butler rubbed his skinny hands. Yes, sir, yes, that is Master Godfrey all over. He was always courageous. There's not a tree in the park, sir, that he has not climbed. Nothing would stop him. He was a fine boy, and, oh, sir, he was a fine man. I sprang to my feet. Look here, I cried. You say he was. You speak as if he were dead. What is all this mystery? What has become of Godfrey Emsworth? I gripped the old man by the shoulder, but he shrank away. I don't know what you mean, sir. Ask the master about Master Godfrey. He knows it's not for me to interfere. He was leaving the room, but I held his arm. Listen, I said, you are going to answer one question before you leave if I have to hold you all night. Is Godfrey dead? He could not face my eyes. He was like a man hypnotized. The answer was dragged from his lips. It was a terrible and unexpected one. I wish to God he was, he cried, and tearing himself free, he dashed from the room. You will think, Mr. Holmes, that I returned to my chair in no very happy state of mind. The old man's words seemed to me to bear only one interpretation. Clearly, my poor friend had become involved in some criminal or at the least despicable transaction which touched the family honor. That stern old man had sent his son away and hidden him from the world lest some scandal come to light. Godfrey was a reckless fellow, 
He was easily influenced by those around him. No doubt he had fallen into bad hands and been misled to his ruin. It was a piteous business, if it was indeed so, but even now it was my duty to hunt him out and see if I could aid him. I was anxiously pondering the matter when I looked up and there was Godfrey Emsworth standing before me. My client had paused as one in deep emotion. Pray continue, I said. Your problem presents some very unusual features. He was outside the window, Mr. Holmes, with his face pressed against the glass. I have told you that I looked out at the night. When I did so, I left the curtains partly open. His figure was framed in this gap. The window came down to the ground, and I could see the whole length of it, but it was his face which held my gaze. He was deadly pale. Never have I seen a man so white. I reckon ghosts may look like that, but his eyes met mine, and they were the eyes of a living man. He sprang forth when he saw that I was looking at him, and he vanished into the darkness. There was something shocking about the man, Mr. Holmes. It wasn't merely that ghastly face glimmering as white as cheese in the darkness. It was more subtle. Something slinking, something furtive, something guilty, something very unlike the frank, manly lad that I had known. It left a feeling of horror in my mind. But when a man has been soldiering for a year or two with Brother Bear as a playmate, he keeps his nerve and acts quickly. Godfrey had hardly vanished before I was at the window. There was an awkward catch, and I was some little time before I could throw it up. Then I nipped through and ran down the garden path in the direction that I thought he might have taken. It was a long path, and the light was not very good, but it seemed to me something was moving ahead of me. I ran on and called his name, but it was no use. When I got to the end of the path, there were several others, branching in different directions to various outhouses. I stood hesitating, and as I did so, I heard distinctly the sound of a closing door. It was not behind me in the house, but ahead of me, somewhere in the darkness. That was enough, Mr. Holmes, to assure me that what I had seen was not a vision. Godfrey had run away from me, and he had shut a door behind him. Of that I was certain. There was nothing more I could do, and I spent an uneasy night turning the matter over in my mind and trying to find some theory which could cover the facts. Next day, I found the colonel rather more conciliatory. And as his wife remarked that there were some places of interest in the neighborhood, it gave me an opening to ask whether my presence for one more night would incommode them. A somewhat grudging acquiescence from the old man gave me a clear day in which to make my observations. I was already perfectly convinced that Godfrey was in hiding somewhere near, but where and why remained to be solved. The house was so large and so rambling that a regiment might be hid away in it, and no one the wiser. If the secret lay there, it was difficult for me to penetrate it. But the door which I had heard close was certainly not in the house. I must explore the garden and see what I could find. There was no difficulty in the way, for the old people were busy in their own fashion and left me to my own devices. There were several small outhouses, but at the end of the garden there was a detached building of some size, large enough for a gardener's or a gatekeeper's residence. Could this be the place where the sound of that shutting door had come? 
I approached it in a careless fashion, as though I were strolling aimlessly round the grounds. As I did so, a small, brisk, bearded man in a black coat and bowler hat, not at all the gardener type, came out of the door. To my surprise, he locked it after him and put the key in his pocket. Then he looked at me with some surprise on his face. "'Are you a visitor here?' he asked. I explained that I was, and I was a friend of Godfrey's. "'What a pity that he should be away on his travels, for he would have so liked to see me,' I continued. "'Quite so. Exactly,' he said with a rather guilty air. "'No doubt you will renew your visit at some more propitious time.' He passed on, but when I turned, I observed that he was standing watching me, half concealed by the laurels at the far end of the garden." I had a good look at the house as I passed it, but the windows were heavily curtained, and as far as one could see, it was empty. I might spoil my own game and even be ordered off the premises if I were too audacious, for I was still conscious that I was being watched. Therefore, I strolled back to the house and waited for night before I went on with my inquiry. When all was dark and quiet, I slipped out of my window and made my way as silently as possible to the mysterious lodge. I have said that it was heavily curtained, but now I found that the windows were shuttered as well. Some light, however, was breaking through one of them, so I concentrated my attention upon this. I was in luck, for the curtain had not been quite closed, and there was a crack in the shutter, so that I could see the inside of the room. It was a cheery place enough, a bright lamp and a blazing fire. Opposite to me was seated the little man whom I had seen in the morning. He was smoking a pipe and reading a paper. "'What paper?' I asked. My client seemed annoyed at the interruption of his narrative. "'Can it matter?' he asked. "'It is most essential.' "'I really took no notice.' "'Possibly you observed whether it was broad-leafed paper "'or of that smaller type which one associates with weeklies. "'Now that you mention it, it was not large. "'It might have been the spectator.' However, I had little thought to spare upon such details, for a second man was seated with his back to the window, and I could swear that that second man was Godfrey. I could not see his face, but I knew the familiar slope of his shoulders. He was leaning his elbow in an attitude of great melancholy, his body turned towards the fire. I was hesitating as to what I should do when there was a sharp tap on my shoulder, and there was Colonel Emsworth beside me. "'This way, sir,' he said in a low voice. "'He walked in silence to the house, "'and I followed him into my own bedroom. "'He had picked up a timetable in the hall. "'There was a train to London at 8.30,' said he. "'The trap will be at the door at eight. "'He was white with rage, "'and indeed I felt myself in so difficult a position "'that I could only stammer out a few incoherent apologies "'in which I tried to excuse myself "'by urging my anxiety for my friend. "'The matter will not bear discussion,' said he abruptly. "'You have made a most terrible intrusion "'into the privacy of our family. "'You are here as a guest, and you have become a spy. "'I have nothing more to say, sir, "'save that I wish to never see you again.' At this I lost my temper, Mr. Holmes, and I spoke with some warmth. I have seen your son, and I am convinced that for some reason of your own you are concealing him from the world. 
I have no idea what your motives are in cutting him off in this fashion, but I am sure he is no longer a free agent. I warn you, Colonel Emsworth, that until I am assured as to the safety and well-being of my friend, I shall never desist in my efforts to get to the bottom of this mystery, and I shall certainly not allow myself to be intimidated by anything which you may say or do. The old fellow looked diabolical, and I really thought he was about to attack me. I have said that he was a gaunt, fierce old giant, and though I am no weakling, I might have been hard put to it to hold my own against him. However, after a long glare of rage, he turned upon his heel and walked out of the room. For my part, I took the appointed train in the morning, with the full intention of coming straight to you and asking for your advice and assistance at the appointment for which I had already written. We'll continue our story on our next episode. We are always on the hunt for great stories like these to feature on the show. You can send your suggestions to bigvoicej at gmail.com. We've got a YouTube channel full of stories from the show. Go to tiny.cc slash bvjbedtime. If you found some value in our storytelling tonight, don't forget to show the love. There's a buy me a coffee link on every post. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>